Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you are ready to have a wonderful weekend wherever you are. The phone number is 877-973-7425. As always, if you text the word SHOW to 33777, you can get links for the podcast, the live stream, and my daily email that I send out, uh, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the daily email. Uh, and if you subscribe to the recipe list, you text the word recipe singular to three, three, seven, seven, seven. You got the pork belly burn in recipe takes three and a half hours and it is delicious. I got to move on. I actually want to shift gears a little bit. Um, cause there's a lot of other stuff to talk about, but, um, I, I actually, I, I just, I need to, have a talk with myself, I guess. <laughs> I actually want to revisit something from yesterday. Yesterday, I had a listener call in and said, can you give us some hope? And she's a little bit aggravated because she's she and some friends are being made to feel like they are the bad guys because they're doing something that is popular but is made to look unpopular. They are fighting to get um, age-inappropriate books out of local libraries where they're not appropriate. And, of course, they're being called book banners and the like. They're not trying to ban the books. They're trying to get them out of uh, accessible to age groups where they're not appropriate. One of the women actually began to read from one of the books at a local school board meeting, and the school board silenced her because of what she was reading. And if it's not readable in front of a school board, why do you want your kids to read it? And some areas of the country are fine with it. Some areas, including the area these ladies are at, is not. And But they, they're, they're despairing a little bit. Because the media treats them as the bad guys, the local progressives treat them as the bad guys, the local school bureaucrats treat them as the bad guys, even as other parents have their back. It gets a little bit frustrating sometimes. Um, I want to spend a few more minutes on hope. Now, you should know um, one of the things that has happened is several people have emailed me and wished I would do it in one way or another way and they had talked about it in a different way, and I'm not going to even entertain that. Uh, I felt like I had more to say, but I ran out the clock yesterday. But yeah, it, it's it's always a fun, interesting phenomenon to me of people who suggest that they could do something better than me, and if they could, it would be their microphone and not mine. But it's mine. Um, because I actually am really good at what I do. And there's an objective metric called ratings that you can see and, and uh, guess who people listen to on the radio. It, it, me, because if I had bad ratings, I wouldn't be in this particular position. And that's not me boasting. It's, it's me trying to remind people that though sometimes you may not like what I do, there actually is a method to the madness. And my method to all the madness of the world right now is is I want to spend a little more time on this topic because I, I just, I was, I felt like something else needed to be said yesterday and I couldn't get to it because of the clock. So I want to now. So I hope the ladies are still listening because I'm sure they continue to be discouraged in some way. Uh, when you and I think about hope, when we use the word hope, I hope it rains today. 
What we're really saying is we wish it would rain today. Our desire is something. And that's what hope is in the common vernacular. You know, in in Scripture, particularly in, in the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. For the longest time, people assumed it was Paul, but it wasn't Paul. We don't know who wrote it. When that book in the Bible talks about hope, uh, you know what it, it actually is talking about? It's talking about profound certainty. Profound certainty. So for a Christian to talk about the resurrection, what they actually mean is that their, their hope is not in the resurrection. It's that they have profound certainty of the resurrection. Now, why do they have profound certainty of the resurrection? Well, uh, though they live by faith, their faith is grounded in uh, eyewitness accounts and documentary evidence that some would dismiss and belittle. But if you are a Christian, you put your faith in those eyewitnesses. You put your faith in the people who saw it. You put your faith in John and Peter, uh, in Paul and the like. Uh, You've got profound certainty that this event will happen. You feel it in your life. You feel the transforming effect of it in your life. Uh, You put your faith in Christ, and he has a profound effect on you. You are regenerated. You feel it. You know it in ways sometimes you struggle to describe. And therefore, you have profound certainty In the resurrection, you have hope in, as the Bible says, but it means profound certainty. We, in our general common vernacular, we don't mean we have profound certainty when we ask for hope. But when you ask for hope or encouragement, what you really are asking for is is give me some certainty that I am on the right path. You want hope in something. You're looking for something that gives you encouragement. So there are a lot of you out there right now who are frustrated with the country. You may see the polling decline and you think, well, this red wave was building and now it's going away and we'll be rid of the Democrats. We're uh, schools, some of them, not in this state, Georgia, where I am, but in others are looking at wanting to close back down or bring back masks or find some excuse to degrade the quality of education. You see cultural progressivism rampant in the country. You see it on the big screen and the small. You see it in Washington. You see it with this administration. And you are frustrated. And there are a couple of things I want to tell you here. Uh, and, and I want to talk about two friends of mine, conversations I've had in recent weeks. They were the exact same conversation with two different people. But they were over the exact same thing, that they are in despair about the state of the country. And they have recognized their anxieties. And their anxieties are about the future of the country. They worry about their children. They worry about their families. They worry about themselves. They worry about uh, this country feels like it isn't the country that they grew up in. What the heck is going on? And I gave them both the same advice, and it went in opposite directions for both of them. Uh, Same advice. One took it well. One took it not well. Now, I'm, it's not like I'm not friends with the one. He just got very huffy with me. But my advice to them was get off social media and stop worrying about the politics of the day. Stop worrying about it right now. 
Can you change it? If you can, get involved. Go go to your local school board meeting. Go to your city council. Go to your county commission. What do you do in Washington? You try to find good people. What if they lose? Well, they've lost. But you've done what you could. Don't worry about it. Forget the whole theological issue of worry being a sin. Just don't worry about it. You can't control it. So why are you fretting about it? You're wasting your energy fretting. And what I told both of my friends was, you've got to get off social media. Social media builds anxiety. The media builds your anxiety. Brian Stelter is out at Reliable Sources. Uh, I think the media does need to be covered. I don't think he could do it because he loved it too much. He couldn't come in as someone who can criticize that which he loved so much. Uh, And so it wasn't a very good show. It was very predictable. The only thing that he could criticize was the right and Trump and Fox News because he didn't like them. And so that's what the whole show became. The media needs some criticism for the media to get better. And and his platform, his show was the one that did it well until he fell in love with the media and couldn't do it. And so the show had to die, had to be canceled. He's lost his job now at CNN. The media is a machine of clickbait, worry, fear, and dread designed to get you to click through in outrage. That's how they make their money now. They, they, they desire you to be outraged, to click through and read a story. They give it a provocative headline, oftentimes not actually matching the substance of the story, and it's all designed to get you to click because if you click, they display an ad and they get revenue for that ad with your eyeballs. And so you should unplug. Social media is only there to stir you up, make you fret, make you worry, make you get anxious, particularly Twitter. Twitter brings out the worst in everyone, myself included. I hold myself accountable there, myself included. I've done some not great things on Twitter over the years. It's what it does to people. It brings out the worst in people. You know, my theory on Twitter is that after the the two possessed men uh, that, that encountered Christ had the demons, the legion of demons worked out of them and put into the pigs and the pigs ran down the hill and drowned. Well, the demons didn't die. They're immortal. They had to go somewhere. So they, in, they invented Twitter. And that explains Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter and I've, I have retweeted you, you will see the horde, the angry horde, the legion coming after you. It's, it's bizarre. It drives people, that site drives people crazy. You got to unplug. So my friend who is in a church, he's got a family and he's in church and he's got a good group of friends agreed that I'm being anxious. I'm, I'm social media is working me into a frenzy and I do need to unplug. And he was able to unplug. And he took my advice and he has told me, it's only been about a week and a half. And he's told me, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm calmed down. It's amazing what social media was doing to me. Then my other friend, he is a loner. He does not have a lot of friends. Of those of us he has, we're all very good friends of his, but he doesn't have a lot of friends. He's not in a church. He is not churched. And he lives on social media. If anything, he has defined himself by his presence on social media. Not going to tell you who he is. Um, he's got a he's got a, a pseudonymous account on Twitter. And he cannot bring himself to let go of it because it defines him. Because he has no friends or family that he regularly associates with. It's not that he doesn't have any friends. Uh, Very few of his friends live anywhere near him. They're all online. And so he can't give up on social media because he doesn't have a social network of people who can get together with him. I was in a meeting this morning for three hours. Well, two, two hours really. Um, 
and it was it was two friends of mine who needed some advice from me. And we are friends enough that we don't actually talk about world events and politics. Like I know people and I consider them friends, but whenever they get together with me, they got to talk about politics. They, they've got to ask me about the news of the day. They got to talk about politics. I don't like to do that. I do it for three hours a day. And most of my actual good friends recognize that um, they aren't going to talk about the headlines and the news of the day and get my take on politics uh, because they're my friends. They actually are my friends. They, they care about me. They know that I don't like to do that outside of uh, when I'm at the office on air. I have other things I want to talk about and enjoy their friendships. And, and I find a lot of times the people who have the most anxiety and the least hope are the people who are surrounded with other people who the only thing they have in common is this joint cause and this joint cause, whatever it is, in politics or culture or whatever, it brings them great joy to be together as comrades in arms, but it's also the thing they have in common and they've isolated themselves from others. And so they grow with anxiety. And it's a problem. And so I want to talk to those people real quick here and just tell you, don't be anxious and unplug some. Your hope is the profound certainty of a final day where you're on the winning team. And that hope, because it is not wishful thinking, but a profound certainty, should be able to navigate you through these times of wishful thinking and times of anxiety and these times where you question yourself because you're on the winning team. Not everything in this world will work out for you. But if you're sure of your cause, you have profound certainty in your cause. That's where your hope should be. And not let the world get you into despair. But there's another thing here, and I really need you all to take it to heart. And it's a hard lesson I had to learn. You have to let your brain and your body rest. Because if you don't rest, if you don't unplug, if you don't distract yourself from this, if you obsess about it day in and day out over time, it will consume you from the inside out. Sometime when you want encouragement and you need hope, what you really need is rest for a weary soul. And you can find that by just opening the Bible and reading. You can find that by curling up on the couch and going to sleep. You can find that by hanging out with friends and having a nice drink or a good meal and not talking about the events of the day and the things that give you anxiety, but common ground and kids and things like that. Sometimes when you're discouraged, what you really need is not a word of encouragement. It's a good night's sleep or a good meal. And so try to figure out what it is. But at the end of the day, if you really do need the hope and the encouragement, your hope and encouragement should come from the idea of, are you on the winning team? Because if so, well, that book's already been written. You can read to the back and see you're on the winning side. So don't be anxious. Take profound certainty because you've got it. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. And I say that, and so they're headquartered in Georgia, so their website is firstlibertyga.com, but it doesn't matter. You can be in Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine, and they can help your small business grow. If you need access to big loans, like $750,000 and up, they wanna help you. You buy in a building, building a building, expanding a franchise, 
reach out to them. So many banks are telling you no right now. They want to help you get to yes. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Thomas Massey, the congressman, uh, has up a video here. Um, it is a IRS recruiting program saying uh, they're taking down a landscape business owner who failed to properly report how he paid for his vehicles. Uh, they're not taking down a billionaire who uses a corporate jet for private trips. I the 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 willingness of the media, the willingness of the media to just buy hook, line, and sinker what the government uh, is telling people on the IRS, and like it, it's profoundly disturbing to me after four years of being so disparaging to Donald Trump. And attacking Donald Trump on everything, the media's just just absolute willingness to say, "Oh, yeah, whatever." Um, whatever they say is true. I, I, it, it concerns me um, that they don't want to question the media if the Democrats are in charge of it. You know, they're coming after Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I'm a critic of, but I, I like this. She was on Tucker Carlson last night talking about uh, a bill she's proposing to ban uh, genital gender genital mutilation. Uh, for minors, listen to this. You know, I should have every single Republican co-sponsor, but unfortunately I don't yet. I only have five co-sponsors. I'm talking to all of my colleagues and urging them because, Tucker, let me tell you something. This is a referendum on the Republican Party. When we take back the majority, if the American people elect us, we need to, we have a lot of work to do. Not only do we need to impeach Merrick Garland, we need to clean out the corrupt FBI. We need to hold the Democrats accountable and defund all of their climate garbage. 87,000 IRS army. But there's one thing that we have got to do, and we're not even a party worth deserving of the American people's votes. If we cannot protect children from this horrific child abuse and create this to be a felony, because this practice has to end. It's the it's the kind of things nightmares are made of, and these are yeah. monsters under kids' beds that are doing these horrific things to them. Good for her. Uh, you know, I, I I criticize her, but I'm actually very proud of her for taking the stand and doing this. Um, I think it's worthwhile to call attention to this insanity that's happening in culture. And if the parents aren't willing to protect the kids, someone's got to protect the kids. These children are made in the image of God, and they need our protection if the parents are failing them. So good for Marjorie Taylor Greene taking a stand on this issue. When we come back, are we in a civil war? Seriously, are we? Hello there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. We had a uh, technical glitch here at the program. Um, for unforeseen reasons and phones actually went out. Uh, we got a great engineering team. They've been able to get us back up and running. And so phone lines are back open. You should be able to call in, uh, the latest final glitch is on my end, but it is resolving itself and I should be able to talk to you in a minute. But, um, while I am sorting all of that stuff out on my end, I want to play you some audio. This is from, uh, Tiffany Cross. She is the uh, racist MSNBC host, and she's got all sorts of serious issues, uh, but uh, one of those big issues is in the way she sees people she doesn't like. She really, she can't just disagree with people. She's got to uh, fairly vehemently 
uh, and pejoratively um, attack those she disagrees with. And so I want to play her audio and comment on it. And I can, by the way, get into the phones if y'all want to call 877-973-7425. But listen to this real quick. You know, I agree with you, but it's not really rhetoric we can deal with. I mean, you have millions of people tuning into a propaganda network every night. And then, as if that were not bad enough, that's an extremist network itself, you have these fringe pop-up outlets, you know, from OWN to Newsmax. Um, Then you have the social media component. That train has left the station. There is no let's deal with the rhetoric. At this point, I do think we have to have serious conversations around preparing for actual violence. Uh, People keep saying a civil war is coming. I would say a civil war is here. And I don't mean to be hyperbolic. We can look at what has happened just in the past week alone since all this has happened. We've had two people try to declare war with FBI field offices. I don't think at this point we're going to all pack up our bags and go home and sing kumbaya. So from a law enforcement angle, what would you recommend the infrastructure of the country do? Because not everybody has the security of Capitol Hill. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, she wants to defund the police. Um, y'all, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, and people on both sides of the aisle keep making it that we are in or headed into a civil war. And it has a lot to do with people who have become extremely isolated and online, and their tribe is online, and they hate the other side. Look, I, there are people on the other side who absolutely hate us. I talked about it yesterday. Michael Hayden, uh, the former CIA director, Edwin Luce, the associate editor of the uh, Financial Times, they They really think we, our side, is worse than al-Qaeda and the communist Chinese. You got Sam Harris willing to say that a conspiracy to undermine democracy to save democracy is worth it to stop Republicans from power. There are people like that. They all have something in common, though. They're all in a very, very small bubble, and they don't really know anyone, which, again, is why I think the solution to this is twofold. One, federalism. Uh, The government closest to it should do the most to us. Um, The government furthest away, which is Washington, should be the least involved in our daily lives. And two, loving your neighbor. Treat people as you wish to be treated, even if they don't reciprocate. Now, that's really hard. When you got some SOB who treats you with scorn all the time, you're trying to be nice to them. It's really, really hard, but you got to do it. Been trying to have this conversation with my wife. Uh, My wife is... Uh, not with my wife. <laughs> I just got a text from my wife that threw me off with my kid. My kid is having to deal with a difficult person right now. And I keep trying to tell her there will always be difficult people in life. There always will be. And right now when you're in high school, it becomes easier to try to navigate and learn the um, learning the, the, the way forward to be able to deal with difficult people. And you got to learn that life skill. And the one thing that you have to do to avoid um, being in those situations is to not be difficult to that person. Don't be difficult to them. And some people, it makes them even matter when you're not a difficult person to deal with, and they are. They realize it, and they get more mad at you for it. But don't give in to being a hateful person. Love your neighbor, however hard it is, even if they don't love you back. It's really hard sometimes. It's really hard. But you still got to give it the effort. And if we all did that, or even some of us did that, if you and I did that, we would slowly begin to improve the world around us. 
and maybe inspire a few more people. And over time, things begin to fix themselves. I mean, this was the advice in uh, Jeremiah to the exiles of Israel in Babylon to seek the welfare of the city in which you live. And Jesus said the, the, the new rule is to love your neighbor as yourself, to do to people what you want them to do, not to refrain from doing things to them you don't want them to do to you, but to actively, actively go out and do nice things for people even when they hate you and don't reciprocate. The idea that we're in the civil war, you know, look at Ukraine. There's a real war. There's a real war. Uh, Tiffany Cross can say this stuff from the comfort of her uh, security-protected MSNBC enclave and groupthink. Uh, in the real world, outside of social media and hyperpartisanship, people tend to like each other even if they disagree on politics. It's only the hyper-online and the hyper-obsessed and the hyper-partisans who hate other people. And don't be like those people. Politics cannot be the be-all, end-all of your life. And if it is, you really need to rethink your life. If you are obsessed at all times with politics in Washington, you're going to be a malcontented soul. Why? Because you're making it an idol, and it's an idol that's going to let you down. Now, to the phones we go, 877-973-7425. Alan, uh, if I can get you fired up here, Alan, you're going to be up next on the show. Welcome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, I really been, uh, I always enjoy listening. Only on rare occasion do I disagree with you, but uh, I always enjoy it. Um, one, one key point, or not, not a disagreement, but some things that, that come to me. You made a, you know, you weren't, you weren't fond of Marjorie Taylor Greene, and or Donald Trump, but the reason that they have a base and traction as unpolished and lack of finesse as they have within themselves, the reason they have traction is they are willing to fight and they see, they have a pretty good insight into what, what reality is in many respects. You know, we're at war right now with China and for years and years and years, they've been playing the art of war game on us and using our, for lack of better words, our good nature and our blind spots and capitalism against us, and we're having to face and deal with it. And then you take social issues, okay, what goes on between two men and two women behind closed doors? Well, that's their business. You know, they're tax-paying citizens, and that's not an area that I should have my nose anywhere near. At the same time, their leadership uses ends to justify the means and is very cunning and manipulative. They're very good at playing us against ourselves and in so doing, challenging our moral authority at, to, to pull out the very best of us. We are, we are at war within our country. But one thing that gives me hope over time, over a long period of time, is that this has to come to the surface so it can be seen and healed again. Or shift our awareness to a higher consciousness and how we look at things like the civil war the civil war 140 years ago, years, years ago yeah i mean that was it was um it was deeply painful and i mean there's no there's no there's no way to pretty that up except things slowly got better but nobody you can't force change so much as as 
race consciousness, and, well, and, uh, yeah, and we evolve you know, over time. You're right, and and uh, yeah. Listen, as much as I have been and and will continue to be critical of a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Donald Trump when I disagree with them, I still recognize that they resonate with a lot of people because they are willing. You hear it all the time. They fight. They fight. They fight. Um, that that's the thing you hear. They fight. And clearly people on the right view the left as an existential threat. And I totally understand why. When you got a fire chief who can lose his job for writing a Bible study for his church or a fire chaplain who can lose his job for writing on his own personal website that he doesn't think boys should be in girls sports and, and he loses his job, well, I totally understand. People on the right view the left as an existential threat. Problem, however, is that though you may view them that way, you still have to love them even if they don't love you. And I think we need to find people who can fight smarter. You know, if you just go out there and and you're throwing punches in every direction, at some point, someone's going to knock you out. Uh, You got to be able to fight strategically and smartly and uh, being able to not make ever recognize what should be a fight and what shouldn't is something I think the right used to do very good at and lost its way. If every single hill is a hill to die on, you're just going to die. Some hills are not hills to die on. Uh, Some hills are places where you can find and manage and bolster and build bulwarks, and some you actually have to stand and fight. And at at this point, the GOP just wants to fight, 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 fight everywhere, and you get exhausted and you get beat because you're not strategic about it. We've got to be strategic in how we fight. I'm not saying don't fight. I'm just saying pick your battles. Now, back to the phones. If I can go back to the phones, Jeff, there you are. Let's see. Can I fire you up here? Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Eric, for taking my call, man. When I First, I wanted to say that when you take a well-deserved vacation, it's almost like a, a depressing point to, to make it through the week without having you there. Now, <laughs> I I'm not taking that. It, <laughs> Not taking anything away from from your guest host because well, they're look, all awesome. I, I, too, I, let but. me just say, I actually spend some time to try to find good guest hosts because I know there are some people in radio who have like the worst guest hosts. So that you're begging for the host to come back, I'd at least like to leave you guys with someone who can be entertaining. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, they're they're doing a pretty good job, but but I always look forward to Monday. <laughs> when, well, thank you. When you when you have to take off. And, and prayers to, to you and your, your family, particularly your wife. Um, so what I'd like to do is make a point and then ask a question um, in light of the midterms coming up and, and the potential 2024 issues. Uh, my point is um, with, the, with the tribalism that you, I think you, you coined that term wonderfully, uh, the, the divisiveness and the, the direction of tribalism that we are, are going toward um, and the fact that um, the potential for rhinos this October uh, becoming more and more divisive. The question is, what's your thoughts and feeling on a convention of states? Because several factors, You'll, we're, no, we're never going to see term limits because the people that have to vote for term limits, are the, it's self-serving are the ones that actually benefit from it. I like the, the Pelosi's and the millionaires that really didn't have a, a, a lot of income when they became part of Congress. And now they're leaving 20, 30 years later as, as multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to find out your thoughts on uh, 
on the convention of state. Yeah. Okay. So I, I will. I'll be very honest with you, Jeff. I, I was for a good long while very hesitant, even as I had friends who were big advocates of a uh, of a convention of the states for this reason. Uh, we got the Articles of Confederation, and they were supposed to be revised. And when the Constitutional Convention sat down as an, a, a convention to revise the Articles of Confederation, they came up with the Constitution. And who's to say you get a bunch of people in a room and they decide, well, you know what, forget these actual amendments to the Constitution. Let's do a whole new Constitution. And the process gets hijacked by the left. Well, we could be in a very bad state. But, but, but. It takes three quarters of the states to agree to amendments. And if the de facto parameter is these things must be passed within five years and they don't get passed, well, then they go away. I don't know at this point that we need to shy away from having a convention of the states where two-thirds of the states say, let's get together and see if we can come up with some stuff. What I would prefer as the appropriate solution is let's offer up the amendments first and get those states together. Can we get two-thirds of the states to agree on some particular amendments to the Constitution that they get together and refine? Because I do think one of the skeptical things is, is if you get a convention of the states and the agenda is defined and you're only here to consider these things, can they be bound by that agenda? And I don't know the answer to that, and I don't think anyone does. It depends on what five members of the Supreme Court say. But I suspect you could say, here's the agenda. Here are the five things we want to consider. Now let's go refine them. Okay, we've refined them. Let's see now, can we get three-quarters of the states to go along? I think you got to restrain the Commerce Clause. I think you got to term limit Congress. Um, and there are probably several other things in there that we need to do. Certainly, we need to restrain and clarify that Article 1, Section 8 has to be read um, very narrowly, that those are the powers of Congress and everything else has to be a state power. There are some good paths forward on this. Might as well give it a try. I just don't know that we can get the votes. What I know is that one of the groups that actually supports considering a convention of the states and, and uh, conservative efforts there is Patriot Mobile. And so if you are a customer of Patriot Mobile, it's one of the, the areas they've considered uh, supporting from the conservative side of this, along with the Second Amendment and the pro-life cause. Uh, is So they also want to help conservative candidates. If you take your business to Patriot Mobile, you get guaranteed great cell phone service. And you also get um, a great, great company that shares your values. They're Christians and conservatives. And you get free activation with my name by going to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can see when you go there, they have a very detailed coverage map. So you know what you're getting, where you live, 5G, voice, digital data, uh, you name it. And they've also got 100% U.S.-based customer service. So if you call them at 972-PATRIOT, you're talking to someone who lives in the United States. You're talking to Americans. You can get great discounts from them. And you get free activation with my name at patriotmobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. It is my show. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, let's see. I'm checking the boxes on all the other stuff. Ah, yes. One more piece of audio I did want to play at the end. I've waited until now because I am just exhausted 
with the story. And, you know, my, my rule of thumb is I tend to talk about stuff longer than you guys are interested in it. So if I'm exhausted, y'all already are. Well, it's the Mar-a-Lago stuff. But there is a point to be made here, and this is from Steve Scalise, the man who should be Speaker of the House instead of Kevin McCarthy, nonetheless. Hopefully that is soon that we see it. And, and keep in mind, we've been seeing leaks over and over, just very selective leaks coming out of justice over parts of this document. So, you know, if they can leak some of it, why not let the public see all of it? Uh, they have no problem giving the New York Times or the Washington Post very selected uh, pieces of it. Let's see the whole thing. I mean, this was an unprecedented action that was taken. If it was justified as they're claiming, they should want it to be out there in the public domain, yet they're still fighting to keep it private. That should tell you something right there. Yeah, you know, okay, so there are a number of issues here that I find uh, deeply relevant. And one of those is these are a lot of leaks out of the White House or, or out of the Department of Justice and out of the FBI. How do members of the media know all of these things? And here's part of the problem as well. Uh, and it is that we have a single source story in all of these media outlets and these single source stories are what got the media into trouble so often with Trump. How can we really believe that this is the case, that these things are real and true when so many of the times we've seen these single sourced stories out of the media, they've turned out not to be true. Like the FBI saw closed security camera footage near the safe where Donald Trump kept these things and they needed to do the raid. How do we know that's true? This is the problem. The media destroyed its credibility a long time ago in these sorts of single source stories with Trump where they had to walk him back. That's why I just think you got to wait weeks before you engage on these stories because the media, half the time, they get played and they're fine to get played as long as they can smear Trump.